life was like a box of chocolates. There is no place like... You talking to me? All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Nobody puts baby in a I could have been a contender. He's looking at you, kid. Here's Johnny. A very particular set of skills. Your milkshake. Go ahead. Make my day. I'll be back. I am the father. I'm Spartacus. Shell off to my little friend. Why so serious? You shall not Welcome to the Real Features Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Cookson, as always, but not as always. I'm rolling this one solo because, unfortunately, my co-host Sam Lavery has called in a sickie. He said he's not well. We might have to run a poll after this because I don't know if he's actually sick or doing last-minute shopping for Christmas or uh, did he have too much eggnog on the weekend? I don't know, but I'm doing this by myself. I want to do a quick intro to this one. Because it's a good interview, this one, we've got Will Anderson, as you would see from the uh, show notes, but for those in Australia, pretty much everyone would know him here in Australia, at least. He's pretty much one of Australia's biggest stand-up comedians. He's done a lot of things. He's on the TV all the time. Very funny man. He's also recently released, which we also discuss, an audio book called I'm Not Fine, Thanks. And that's, I've read it recently, or actually did the audio book. Sorry, it's an actual book, but of course... I do the audio books. I don't have as much time these days to read, but yeah, it's really uh, a really good book. He, uh, it's very funny. He covers some topics like COVID and, and all kinds of, you know, not super funny topics, but he makes it very funny. So it's definitely worth a, uh, a listen. And also, uh, as we said, we sort of cover that in this interview. He also talks about, for his nostalgia film, we did make sure that he chose one that was Christmas-themed. So we don't really get to discuss his favourite film of all time, but we do cover his favourite Christmas film. Uh, and it's, an, it's a really good choice, one of our favourites too, so we're glad with his selection. Also, our next episode, it's running a bit late. We usually cover what's coming to streaming this month, and already as I recall this, we're over the halfway mark of the month, but we won't be far off. As soon as Sam uh, is back and ready to go with his vocals, um, we should be able to record that one. We'll make sure I'm going to ask him the question as as well, what Christmas films he plans to watch as well. We'll make it a little bit Christmas themed while also covering the usual news and everything coming to streaming. So look out for that one, but I won't babble on too much longer because I'll get to the interview. It is definitely a really good one, very funny as expected, but I will just warn as well, the audio is a little choppy at times, but I think we get, yeah, we get, we get the gist of pretty much what's going on. So hope you guys enjoy and yeah, here is Will Anderson. All right, welcome back to the Real Features podcast. We are so pleased to introduce our next guest. He's one of Australia's most popular stand-up comedians. He's done it all. He started starred on radio, including Triple J and Triple M, including Will and Limo and The Hot Breakfast with Eddie Maguire and Luke Darcy. He stars in about 100 podcast shows, including the hugely popular Tofop and Fofop and has appeared and presented uh, in his own shows, including The Glass House, The Project, The Good News Week, Gruen, uh, Questions, uh, uh, Question Everything, to name a few. He's recently released his own book, I'm Not Fine, Thanks, and is currently touring uh, or going to about to tour as part of the Melbourne Internet International Comedy Festival uh, for his show, Will Illuminate. 
Welcome, Will Anderson. <laughs> Thank you. That was a mouthful. That's all the time we have. Unfortunately, <laughs> we got through the intro. We have no more time to talk about movies, unfortunately. <laughs> I had to schedule some breaths in between that as well. But that, that, was, that was the equivalent of the, the, the director who wants you to sit through all the credits before the movie starts. You know, when you're just sitting there going, I don't need to know all these people's names and they've done a good job or not put them at the end where they actually belong i'll watch the movie and then i'll see if i want to check out who the cinematographer was but don't like front load me with this information so yeah it's it's um thank you for for that lovely introduction but uh, yes my name is will anderson i am a stand-up comedian is it, it would would suffice man we could have saved so much time you that took you hours to write too paul cookson I know, it took me a long, pretty much the last month I've been. <laughs> a lot yeah, of exactly. Wikipedia action there, on this. There was a heap of cutting and pasting to put that together. So. <laughs> it was that's... just Wikipedia, pretty much, just copy and paste. Yeah, that's it. Ah, <laughs> uh, mate. And uh, so how's it all going, Will? We were just talking off air about the, the build-up to Christmas. Obviously, today we're going to review a Christmas film a little later on. But, um, yeah, how is the Christmas manic rush going for you? Well, it's it's appropriate that I have a book out called I Am Not Fine Thanks because every time somebody asks me the question, how am I going? I can just go, look, give me $35 and you can read 70,000 words about how I am going <laughs> and spoilers, look at the title on the front of the book. I am not fine, thanks. Yeah. It, it was what I, I don't think anyone is really fine. And those who you know are saying they're fine are only pretending to be fine. And I do worry a little that that is a ticking time bomb of some sorts that we've gone through this mass trauma, um, you know, as a human race, and then we've suddenly tried to get back to normal. But of course, nothing's going back to normal. You know, while we were away, the richest people in the world became richer. We went into World War Three, and, you know, Putin's, you know, like got nukes that can reach America. And we still have this global pandemic that is absolutely everywhere, despite the fact that we're pretending it's not absolutely everywhere. So, Spoilers, Christmas doesn't make that any better. <laughs> the extra stress of oh, Christmas God. on top does not make any of that stuff easier. Yeah, that's a spoiler indeed. Yeah, I mean, you, you covered it with your book, but yeah, you, you cover some, like a lot of topics, like you said, COVID, the bushfires, anti-vaxxers, even echidna penises. Um, so you cover a lot of different topics on that. But um, yeah, where, where did that like inspiration come from? Was it like your COVID project as opposed to, you know learning to bake was it you know something that you decide to <laughs> i can down? tell you a hundred percent so like I, I mentioned this in the book but it is true well it's true pretty i mean I, this is a more poetic way of saying it but it is essentially true which was i lost a month of work in a day and i lost a year of work in a week and yeah. like I, I still had, you know, all my financial commitments like everybody else who lost their jobs. So I had to, you know, I think the fancy term they say in the industry is you have to pivot in those situations. Yes. And Man, I, that got I, overused, that term. Good Lord. I, I was pivoting. I was spinning around in circles <laughs> trying to find something to pay my bills. And so I actually did a pitch for a um, book doc, a book, which was going to be based on my podcast philosophy and the idea was because this was like april 2020 when we knew that the pandemic at that point was going to affect us in australia but we never could have imagined i don't think anyone who pretends they knew how it was all going to roll out i think is you know absolutely lying we didn't know yeah. at that stage you know what we were in for and so i thought this might be a fun idea you know look at the wisdom that i've learn in this podcast there's some that i can get from it to get me through this time but also some lessons some other people can get through these times with it and i actually realized was that the world had changed forever and going 
that's to put those people's words into a book because think if I ask them the exact same question now, you know, what do you prioritize in life? You know, what is most important to you? How do you think of your family, love, and all these sort of things? I think that the circumstances we were going through like had substantially changed to those questions. I know they had for me, you know, yeah. my relationship with my work and what it meant to me suddenly was very different to what it had been six months before that. And here's the problem. I, I knew that I could not write the book. Like the book that I had pitched, the book that I had already accepted money for, that I had spent that money. And here's what I also did not want to do: give that money back. I physically <laughs> could not give that money back. It's gone. So, I, I, I luckily I had some experience from a few weeks before when I was pivoting. Uh, I was like, you know what, I should be doing again: some more pivoting. So I got back to pivoting, and uh, I was lucky enough that the good people at Allen and Unwin, I said, "But what about I write something funny about?" you know, what we're going through, you know, what, what we're going through now. And at the time, there was a real conventional wisdom from the industry. And I'm sure you've seen this in films and, you know, like it's certainly something that's represented in popular culture, which was there was a few shows and films and stuff that touched on the pandemic early, but in a general sense, people avoided it. People yeah. tried to stay as far away from it as possible. The, yeah, the conventional wisdom being that people don't want to be reminded of this thing that we're going through while we're going through it. You know, like, yeah, yes, yeah. there's lots of films about the Vietnam war, but most of those films were made after the Vietnam war. It's people looking back on the Vietnam war and then right, making a film about it. And I imagine in the future, there will be obviously, you know, films and, and literature and TV shows that tackle the pandemic in that way. And that's not to say that there wasn't any that, but uh, I was very lucky because Basically, nobody wanted that sort of book. And then the editor at Allen and Unwin had just been at, I think, a book conference or something like that, where somebody they really respected had actually said to them they would be negligent as a book editor if they didn't publish a piece of work that was actually about what we were going through at the time. And so I think I was incredibly lucky, as sometimes these things are, that she'd had that conversation quite recently with this. And then I pitched them the idea of doing this book in two worlds combined into each other which eventually became this book i am not fine thanks which you know it, it basically it was a whole bunch of material essentially that i had written to be stand-up comedy like and yep. then just wasn't able to do a stand-up comedy and yeah. then it tells the story of me like stand-up comedy going away from me because the, the melbourne comedy festival would have been 25 years in a row for me in april 2020 and so that's a big chunk of my life you know quarter mm. of a century more than half my life you know the predominantly all of my adult working life i had done this festival and then the book talks about that going away. And then two yeah. years later, my journey back to the festival. But now there's this special, we're logical, that people can watch for free on ABC iView, which is the special that I talk about making in the book. You can now actually see that special and you can see how the material and the stories that are in the book led to, you know, that hour of stand-up comedy that's on stage. So I consider them to be now like, you know, they're pieces to be consumed you know, with each other. You know, one yep. tells the story of getting there, but it also tells you all the ingredients that end up being in the show and then you can watch the show itself. So it's cool that I like, you know, I, I like that they're both out together because it feels like they're actually two parts of the same project in a way. Yeah, that's beautiful. And one thing that I did see um, in a, because you mentioned just then that you were kind of right um, spot at the right time to get that book Um done but one thing that i saw i think it was in another interview where you you don't feel necessarily confident throughout your career but you put yourself in positions 
to achieve things or just to give things a go. And you, it's almost like a fake it till you make it kind of mentality. Is that kind of correct that you just, if, if you get an opportunity, you'll just take it and go with it. Even if you're not necessarily confident, you'll just kind of have a go. Is that kind of I mean, I think, yes. I mean, certainly, you know, I, I, I do think the ego is the enemy, right. In general. So I think like, I, I like the idea that, you know, never get beyond what you think your capabilities are. And look, you can debilitate yourself by going too far the other way, which is, I don't have any confidence or I don't think I'm the greatest. Therefore I am never going to do this thing. Here's what I know. I, you know, I've done 25 Melbourne comedy festivals. I've got some people who've gone to every one of those shows and I guarantee you, some years they weren't going because those shows were good. Some yeah. years those shows were terrible. Some years those people were just with me for the journey. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they, they, absolutely there was probably points in my career where like my ambitions were to be the best at what I do. But I quite, you know, soon realised that the only thing that is something you can seriously, you know, look at is trying to be the best that you can be and not worry too much about, you know, comparing yourselves to other people. I will say this though. You know, if if there's something you want to do and the opportunity presents itself to do it, I I say do it anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, and look, like I've been lucky enough that a few times in my career, like me taking that opportunity has worked out for me. And then it's grown into something that I can do. You know, like there are jobs that I took when I was no good at them. Yeah. And then was able to do them long enough that, you know, I eventually, I think, got quite competent at doing them, you know, so I'm not, not to say that, that, you know, you're always going to be as hopeless as you are when you jump into the thing. But if you wait until you're good to jump in, then that's where it becomes a problem. The other thing I will say is that some of it is me being very Zen and like being very egoless and, you know, making it about the work and challenging myself and not looking at other people. But like I'm a human being. I, of course, I look at other people and am jealous of their success or sometimes want what they have. And, yeah. and often the other one that people don't tell you about, and this is cruel, but we think so often about ourselves. We're like, well, I'm not that good. Like, why would I be getting this job? Or why could I do this thing? But look around. There's not good people doing shit all over the joint. Like, <laughs> so I feel like, I mean, like most people who do things aren't that great at them. So I don't know why we hold ourselves to this standard that we need to be perfect at something to do it when most people out there in the world who are already doing those things aren't that good at them either. And even the people who are really good at them aren't really good at it all the time. Like Steve Smith is the best Australian cricket batsman I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. But he made a duck the other day. He did caught and bowled straight back to a medium pace West Indian bowler. Like, I mean, yeah. everybody has bad days at work. So yeah. I, I think that's important to remember as well. Yeah, it, it is. And that's an awesome answer. And it is like when you become an adult, you realize that, yeah, most of us are kind of faking it till we make it really in a way. And you've, as you kind of alluded to, you've got to start somewhere. So no, I, I just really, that kind of stood out to me that uh, I can't remember where I saw it originally when you were talking about it, but I, I kind of love that approach, just taking those opportunities. Well, even that term fake it until you make it is misleading because it should actually more accurately be fake it until you can fake it better and no yeah. one notices <laughs> that you're faking it anymore, right? Because yeah. you never, like, I mean, I, my theory when we work on Question Everything in particular, we have a lot of young writers and our team and part of our ethos of that show is that we're trying to 
impart lessons on this next generation of people that they can then take and do with whatever they want and make the amazing work that they, so you talk about the craft a lot more and you talk about like why you do things in a different way than we would on a project like Gruen where it's all in shorthand and we don't have these conversations necessarily out loud all the time mm -hmm. but one of the things that I say to these younger performers is that like you're always guessing like anyone who tells you that they you know you just get better at guessing yeah, like yeah. if you guess for long enough, hopefully you get better at guessing. And then after a while, people think that you know stuff, but really yeah. you've just got much better at guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, now it'd be remiss. We're both big comedy fans. So we'd love to pick your brain on a couple of comedy questions before we get to um, sure. the listener question. But love to in terms of, you've probably answered these questions a billion times, but in terms of some of your bigger comedy influences growing up and when you got into stand-up, who were they? I mean, Lily is my origin story. If you're looking at like, you know, a calling. I mean, I will say that it, it came before that. So like television comedy was how I was introduced to comedy. So um, my dad's a dairy farmer and that, it, you know, people who, who know dairy farmers will know that they go to bed early. You have yep. to get up in the middle of the night to irrigate and milk cows early in the morning. They go to bed early, right? So my dad was like at eight o'clock at night, he's in bed, maybe listening to his wireless and then, you know, going to sleep. But like he'd get through the news, but he wouldn't really get into many you know, TV projects. Like I'm not sure he's watched an entire movie in his entire life, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So he might've watched the Don Bradman miniseries, but that would have been about it. I would have thought he's the guy who thought that Blue Healers and Flying Doctors were the same show. That's yeah. how little he was paying attention. Yeah. So um my mum on the other hand you know I think that what you I'm the oldest child and I think I, I around 12 or 13 what I realized now in reflection was that she was just grateful to have a friend some company at night you know when dad's yeah. trotting off to bed you know someone to watch the shows with and so I think I got introduced to some shows probably a year or two or three earlier then, you know, ordinarily you might have into that, that style of comedy because my mum wanted to watch these things. She's got a great sense of humour and likes comedy. And of course, you know, there was nothing more exciting than to be able to stay up a bit later and watch these shows that I probably wasn't to be watching, like Young Ones and Black Adder and yeah. Hello, Hello, and, you know, like bawdy comedies like this, Are You Being Served and things like this. And then, of course, that graduated into a show Andrew Denton was doing on the ABC called The Money or the Gun, mm -hmm. and and then eventually a show called The Big Gig, which was this live TV comedy show hosted by Wendy Harmer and had the Doug Anthony All-Stars and Glenn Nicholas and, you know, uh, Jen Kitson, a whole bunch of, you know, Matt Parkinson, Matt Quartermain, like really yep. amazing comedians. And I used to just watch that religiously. And in the old days, what you could actually do was you could tape the 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 audio of it off the abc broadcasted on like the fm band i think and so yeah. i would watch it on live tv but i cassette tape record it and just like listen to it as like the show over and over and over and i just loved stand-up comedy so much so then that i mean eventually i was very lucky that ted robinson who produces produced the big gig he produced good news week which was the first tv show i got to do and then um he was ended up being the producer of glass house which is the first show i hosted and then of course andrew denton was one of the co-creators in the first ep of of gruen as well the gruen transfer as it was back then so yeah. like incredible that like you know this kid on a dairy farm in denison got to work with the two people who kind of inspired him yeah you know, and his own career is, is is amazing really but i um but then it became like trying to find stand-up albums and, you know, stand-up comedy. Like, and so mostly in the country, it was like, you know, Rodney Roode and Kevin Bloody Wilson and the yeah. 12th Man and, yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, Cole <laughs> Elliott. You know, there wasn't a lot of stuff. And then there was the two 
big bills. Now, one of them we really can't talk about anymore. Uh, uh, Bill Cosby, of course, was uh, but his stuff was everywhere. And like, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously a terrible human being who deserves to be in prison. But yeah, like at the time, like, you know, was, you know, as, as good a stand up comedian as there'd ever been. Mm. But his style of humor wasn't the one that really appealed to me the one that i really love was billy Connolly. yeah and, uh just the way that he told stories like the the disregard that he had for authority and unearned authority which was just something that really appealed to me you know when i was young and it's become still a bit of a prevailing theme throughout my adulthood one of those things that i thought i might grow out of at some stage but just realize it becomes bigger and bigger as yeah, your that's not happening no that's not happening yeah and uh so when I was about uh, 17, so I'll tell you this. So the first, sorry, if I answer everything really long. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. but, um, the first time that um, I went, I actually got a fake ID. My mates and I, we went to see, so Jamoan had done his debut spot on the big gig and he, mm-hmm. he, he was incredible. Like this was the one that sort of blew up everything for Jamoan. And yeah. he had this routine about seagulls not having any eyebrows. And it's this like iconic <laughs> piece of stand up, And yeah. My, me and my mates just knew it like off by heart you know when you're a teenager and you just learn like those yeah. things off by, so we knew the entire routine off by heart so a bunch of us get fake ids to go down to melbourne on the train like three hours to go to the last laugh in collingwood this yeah. iconic comedy venue we get there at like seven for a 10 o'clock show or whatever with our fake ids that they don't even check of course yeah you know? <laughs> they're just happy to have us there yeah and we go in and we think we're just going to see jamoan but um we didn't realize how a comedy night works. He was just headlining and there was actually a host uh, who was a guy called Steph Torek. And, uh, and then there was two guys we'd never heard of, but turned out um, they were, they were doing solo acts at, at the time, but um, they ended up working together. Their names were Tony Martin and Mick Malloy. Oh my God. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I mean, Mick was hilarious, but Tony in particular, I was just like his craft, like the way that he wrote jokes was just incredible. And, and early on my career, like everything that I was doing in joke writing was like just basically ripoffs of like Tony Martin's structure, yeah. the way he put together jokes. And then Jamal was the headliner. And so like, that was our first night of comedy. But then um, when I was 17, I was about to go off to university to study journalism. And my mum got me tickets to see Billy Connolly. And uh yeah, I, I think back about this a lot now. Like I write a bit about it in the book, but I think about it all the time, which is I was about to go off and do what at the time was quite a good, sensible career, become a political journalist, you know, like, yeah, you know, that's a good, good job. Right. And my mum just knew that I think that there was something in me that, you know, was going to be happy with that life and so she took me to billy Connolly, and i remember sitting in the room that night i'm not a religious person but it's as close as i can get to understanding what that idea of being called might feel like because i just remember sitting in the room just going whatever this is like seeing this guy entertain three thousand people aged from 10 to 80 with nothing more than his imagination was to me transformative like Mm. just couldn't like people that if they met in the foyer would scratch for something to be able to talk about with each other they would think they had nothing in common but in this room they all had one thing in common which was they absolutely were dying in laughter and not thinking about anything else listening to this stranger and i just remember sitting there in the room going i don't know what this is but this this is what i need to be around and you know because i'm 17 and because you know i have that imposter syndrome i don't think you know that it could be me yeah. What I do instead is I go to university for three years and study journalism and get a job as a journalist that I hate and I hate my life. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, I think everyone, I mean, that whole moment where you are 17, you got to figure out what you need to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> and it's like, it's so ridiculous. Like, I did the same and changed uni course. Yeah, halfway through, it's like, yeah, it's a good way to rack up the uh, the uni debts and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, um yeah. Don't, uh, my my don't mate, I, 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 at school, I went to at school with uh, one of my good friends, like who's still a friend of mine, sat next to him, you know, in half my classes at school. It was a guy by the name of Mark Howard. And Mark Howard now is like the, one of the biggest cricket commentators in the yeah. world, you know, sitting alongside like, you know, you know, heroes of ours when we were kids, like Brian Lara and stuff and being friends with wow. these people. Um, yeah, huge footy commentator now. We sat next to each other at school. He went off to university, did something he didn't like, travelled the world, ended up going to work for the Grand Prix in a different role to being on air, volunteered to do pit crew announcing, like came through that system. Like he's passed to where he is, like, you know, travelling the world, watching you know, cricket and football and being like a gun at it now. Wow. Like if you'd asked him at 17 years old, well, the weird thing is if you'd asked him at 17 years old, what he loved in life, he probably would have told you footy and cricket. Yeah. If you'd asked me at 17 years old what I loved in life, I probably would have told you I loved comedy. But then the world distracts us from those things, tells us that that isn't the passion that we should be following, that we should yeah. be going off to do these other things that our hearts aren't really in. Mm -hmm. And then you look at that example of just these two kids who sat together at a country you know, um, you know, country secondary school for all these years. Like we both ended up doing the thing that we loved doing when we were 15, 16, 17. It just took us a little while to, you know, get around to, to finding our way back to that. But there's so much structure in our society that works against us following the things that we're passionate about. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah, yes. I think that very much so. And I, I like to think that maybe it is, there's more movement in career and people do move around a lot more compared to, you know, even like 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I hope that this next generation coming up, they definitely have maybe not that pressure when you are 17 to go find something you're going to do forever. And you just say, like, Oh, Jesus. All right. I guess like, you know, and you jump into something and I feel like hopefully people now are feeling a bit more flexibility with that. I think they have to, because like that idea of forever, is a Ugh. daunting thought for this yeah. next generation, right? Like, yeah. how long yeah. is that that you're talking about? Yeah. So yeah. What, what does forever mean? Yeah. How long am I meant to be doing this thing? Is it going to be five <laughs> years or 50 years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, and I've just got one more. I'm a bit of a stand-up nerd, so I, I know we've got to move on to other things soon. But in terms of just right now, who are the some of the comedians you're really enjoying stand-ups that you're like, all right, I'd go see you or you've loved their special that's come out. Who are just a couple that you could name off the top of your head? I mean, there's so many is the real answer. But like if people haven't seen Bo Burnham's Inside, oh. which if we're talking about like pandemic art, that yeah. is one of the all-time great bits of pandemic art. Like mm -hmm. I'm going through a real period of loving um, Maria Bamford again. I just think her stuff's really amazing. Um, I've been listening to a lot of James Acaster. I've never, he's a huge UK comedian and just, he, he's one of those guys that I've always been familiar with, but just never really did the deep dive. And it turns out, of course, like as everybody has been saying for ages, he's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I love um, uh, Nish Kumar. I've been really enjoying uh, Nish's stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I, 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 Veer Das, who's like India's biggest stand-up comedian he's got a bunch of netflix specials that are really interesting that i really enjoyed um i love dylan moran like he's kind of my yeah. favorite comedian if, if if like i have you know if, if there's a the idea of like a comfort comedian for me that's dylan moran like i, I yeah. just watch him do anything that he is in um so uh 
who else am I? I mean, there's so like, I mean, the truth of it is there's so many, there's a guy we had on a question, everything who's a young Australian guy called Blake Freeman, who I oh. think is just going to be a superstar. Like, yeah, he is I know. So him. funny. Um, yeah. uh, Aaron Chen, if people don't know Aaron Chen, I watched his special recently, which is like hilarious. And so it's on YouTube for free. So yeah, I would definitely check that out. Um, uh, Sam Campbell, who's the Australian actor who won the, you know, the Edinburgh Comedy Award this year, who I just think is incredibly funny as well. Um, I'm a huge Zoe Coombs-Ma fan. If people haven't checked out her stuff, I would highly recommend. She's one of the most inventive comedians, I think, like, who not just works. She's very famous for a character she has called Dave, which is a deconstruction of, like, male stand-up comedians. But mm-hmm. she has a whole bunch of other stuff as well that uh, that is equally as interesting and um yeah i think she's really really fantastic but uh, look i could I, if you asking me about stand-ups that i love is it, it's one of those things where i it, mostly normally just have to watch like somebody's thing and it'd be half good for me to just become the biggest advocate for them yeah like yeah. something has to be really annoyingly bad for me not to like it and the only yeah. times that i really don't like it is when I see huge acts. So the only things that I, and I don't even need to name these names, people can probably guess who they are, but um, the only time is when I see huge, like, you know, I'm talking huge worldwide, massive names in stand up comedy get paid extraordinary amounts of money to make terrible comedy specials, you know, yeah. like particularly ones that have terrible jokes in them, that have hacky jokes in them, that have barely been thought through, that punch down because they can't think of anything more inventive to do in their comedy, that are spending, you know, an hour on fucking Netflix, yeah, being paid $30 million to respond to a fucking mean tweet they got once. Like, yeah. If you want to respond to a mean tweet, respond on Twitter. You don't need to write a fucking Netflix show. About <laughs> it, you know? like, that's the only time I ever really get angry about like, you know, when I, when I look at those people and go, you're better than this. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many better people. Um, I know I love Pete Holmes. I mean, Pete Holmes is a big star now, but like, you know, I'm a really big Pete Holmes fan. I think he's super funny. I've got John Mulaney tickets for when oh, he comes yep. out to Australia. I, I think he's very funny. Um, I've been, uh, oh, there's an incredible new uh, UK comedian called Jordan Gray, uh, a trans comedian who did really great stuff at Edinburgh this year and has been doing some really cool, um, so I, w- I would recommend as well being doing her work. So um, anyway, this is like, I could literally just keep, this the, This could be the rest of the podcast. We just going <laughs> should go for people. the next two hours. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> No, that's um, awesome. I just, yeah, I thought it, it's, it, as I said, it'd be remiss if we didn't pick your brain on on such a thing. Um, I was just going to ask as well on, on the stand-up um, side of things, just your process. I mean, you've done, yeah, the, inter- the International Comedy Festival. You say you do that every 20, you know, you've been doing that for 25 years. Um, kind of how, you know, what's your process when when putting together? Uh, I mean, you kind of almost talk about it a little bit in your book as well, but yeah, is there sort of a way that you you do kind of, all that together yeah the process is whatever works is honestly the real <laughs> answer to that like whatever you know if it ends up being the show and of course whatever it is on the first night is just that's what i thought the show would be it never is that by the third night or the fifth night you know it becomes yeah. a collaboration with the audience i start doing some live focus groups and decide which bits <laughs> to keep and which bits <laughs> to get rid of but um yeah the idea is that it always gets good eventually so the process is you keep doing it until it gets good but yeah. Um, 
you obviously want to accelerate that process. You want to make sure that like it's as good as early as as it can be without like, I mean, without, I mean, obviously the easiest way to make it as good as it can possibly be as early as possible is just to do something that is not like that different to the thing you've done before. Like, because the thing you've just done, you know how you did that. You could just repeat that process and then do something that was like, you know, a similar sort of show, but with different topics. And there's been definitely times in my career where I think, there's been a couple of years where you think, yeah, this was like a different show. I talked about different things, but it was actually kind of the same show. Like, yeah. you know, the, as last year, it was just like different jokes about different topics, but actually the same kind of vibe and world perspective and structure and all these sort of things were actually just, you know, this is like yeah. more a sequel than it is its own individual yeah. thing. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Sometimes shows are like that. Sometimes over a couple of years, you know, you have a bunch of thoughts that are connected to each other and they do tend to play out over a couple of years. This year is really interesting to me because, yeah, I have a new show. And with the book and with last year's show, that was a real, you know, like, I mean, there's 70,000 words in the book. You know, there's probably about 7,000 in a show. And so everything, like every idea I have, every like thought on these topics kind of went into the book. And then in a way that's really great because now I have a blank slate for whatever the new thing is going to be. Yeah, uh, It's also really terrifying because you're like, oh yeah, okay, what are my fresh ideas? <laughs> Come to me. <laughs> so um, at the moment, I'm really trying to, um, yeah, fuck with my process is honestly the, the answer, which is I'm trying to do a whole bunch of different things to see like if I get new results. So I'm doing a bit of what I would ordinarily do, which is like like what I call emptying out my brain. So I normally like whatever I feel like's in there, I just write without um, write without review is basically yeah. how I would explain it. So I get up every day and I have an amount of words that I decide that I'm going to write during that day. And then I write that many words. That's it. That's like literally it. And I don't really care what the words are. And I don't really care like what comes out. I know they're not all going to be used or all going to be good. It's just part of like emptying out every thought that's in there. Yeah. And so I just empty them out and I never back and I read back over it. I literally move on to the next day. And so I, I will do that for like a couple of months, I suppose, is really wow. the answer. Yeah, wow. And at the end of that, I normally have a document that will be somewhere around... I don't know, like 80,000 to 120,000, 130,000 words really is probably what I will have at the end of that. Um, many of them will be completely useless. Nothing like yeah. that is of interest in there at all. And, and a lot of it will be the same thing over and over. That's what you notice. You notice that if I don't review, like when I think what's on my mind today, what am I passionate about? What am I thinking about? you write something that you wrote a week ago. You've just kind of forgotten that you wrote it that day or like, you know, it's, it's almost the same thing. Yeah. It might be slightly different, but it's almost the same thing. And, and I literally, this is, I mean, when I say this process out loud, it actually like sounds absolutely bananas, but anyway, here it is. <laughs> so then I, then I put that away for a, like a month basically. So I don't look at it. It's like, so I've done a couple of months of like what I would call, filling up the bucket or like the analogy I like to use is like Michelangelo said, you know, the sculpture's already inside the stone. You've just got to know which bits of the stone to get rid of. And yeah, um, like, 
the thing about stand-up is I've got to also build the stone first, right? So like, yeah. I, that's what I'm doing. I'm building yeah. the stone at this point. Like I'm not getting to the point where I'm chipping away trying to find the statue. I'm just building a giant slab of like marble <laughs> in, in which I can start to chisel away, right? Yeah. yeah. And so then in January, I do like improvised shows. They're called What You Talking About, Will? And I do, well, this year I'm doing eight of them, I think. And uh, I literally don't do anything. Well, I don't look at any of those notes. I'm not saying that there isn't stuff in those notes that might come up, but mm -hmm. I don't go into any of these shows with like a plan of anything I'm going to work on. They're fully improvised shows. They're all their own experience. You could come to all eight and not see anything the same. So, um, you know, I talk to the audience. I see where my brain goes, but that's great because that engages my brain on a different level than sitting in front of my computer and just like writing. So like mm -hmm. you're in front of an audience, like your brain has to be making different decisions. It's in crisis, right? It needs yeah. to be like working in that time. Sometimes it will find, you know, things that are in my notes. Like sometimes it won't, sometimes yeah. it'll be its own thing. But the point is that I just let it go wherever it wants to go. So I do that for a month and I have the recordings of all those shows. And then I do a little process where I look at what went well in there that I liked, you know, and then what went, and then I look back through my notes and I say what like is in there that I like. Yeah. And often there is a scene by that stage that, seems to have you know like emerged or like several themes normally hopefully normally there's like four or five different themes running through a show that all kind of you know are interlinked in some way that i can start to see and so then i pull all that shit out you know i need about i know that i need about seven thousand words right total like you know is what i'm going to actually need once i go into it i yeah. probably pull out about fourteen thousand, something like that fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand of my, my what i think are the best ideas that are in there and then uh, I start to work on on those ideas, and that's what ends up becoming the show. Like, and then the rest of it just sits around uselessly yeah. in, a, in a pile. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back to it and you know mine it for anything else at that point. But yeah. um, but this year I'm doing this is so this is the thing I'm the spanner that I'm throwing into the works is so next week um i've got a week where i don't have to do any other work and so i've decided that every night of the week i'm going to improvise an hour show just at home myself because i've never done that before just like try to like literally do that process of what i do with writing but just like to try to like so every night just for one hour yeah. just like get in my own space and just see what's in my head record it all and then and see if anything extra comes out of that as well so that's going to be the thing wow. that i throw in this year just to it might not add anything it might be like <laughs> like but and it'll be painful to do but yeah <laughs> um but I, that's yes yeah, something that i'm trying in there this year just to see if that engages me on any level that the other stuff doesn't engage me in it all sounds a bit hard doesn't it <laughs> yeah it sounds <laughs> i love it it sounds amazing those um yeah. improvised shows must be a rush like when something you get like a yeah. gem out of one of those or you find yourself onto something you just hadn't previously thought of that must be an absolute rush on those improvised shows i'd love to do them most of the time honestly if my career flipped if we got to the point where people loved those shows more than they love my other shows and i would yeah 90 of my time was doing improvised shows and like 10 percent of the time i'd like you know write something and perform it just because i'd still like to do that but yeah. i love the improvised shows because there's something that happens in that room that night that is for no one else other than the people who were there yeah. that night and that to me is my favorite part of comedy you know the idea that we're all you know i talked to you about that billy Connolly thing my feeling that i remember having was how united everyone in that room was it wasn't like i was like he's you know 
like I wasn't thinking about the outside world. I was just thinking about the people in that room yeah. that night having that experience. And to me, that's what comedy is. That's why I love live stand up more than I love anything else is because we're all having this together. It's the reason that on Tuesday night when we tape our TV shows, whether it be Gruen or QE, we tape them on a Tuesday night. So the, basically the structure of the week is we start working on the show on a Wednesday and you work on it through to taping it on a Tuesday night in front of like, you know, a live audience again now. So on Wednesday, that show gets edited, it goes to air on a Wednesday night, right? Yeah. I don't, I'm not involved in any of that process. I do like what they call a paper edit on Tuesday night, which is post-show yeah. we do go through it on paper, but yeah. then the cutting of it and the broadcast of it, I don't watch the cut. I don't watch it broadcast back because I've moved on to next week's show. For me, the um, show is the night before when we record yeah. in the studio in front of that audience. For me, the show was the 90 minutes we recorded last night, not the 28 and a half minutes that go to air. You know, that's just yeah. something that someone else made out of what yeah. we did in that yeah. room that night. And so for me, with stand up, the improvised shows, like that's. There's the stuff that yeah. happens in that night. There's things that I've done in that show, those shows that are the funniest things that I will ever do in my comedy career because you know, in that moment, you could never recreate the thing that happened, the circumstance that happened to make that thing so funny. But everyone was, yeah, that comedy expression, you had, I guess you had to be there for it. Well, yeah. this is the classic example of, yeah, we were all there for it. You know, yeah. In any show, if I'm introducing a premise, like it could be as simple as, so I'm married or I'm single, like whatever. Mm -hmm. There are percentages of people in the audience who are one or the other, right? Yeah. Whereas like if you're doing something improvised in the room, everybody has the information at the same time. Everybody yeah. learns that, that person was a plumber or that thing that was blah, 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 or that noise that was made or whatever. Everyone saw it, heard it, it you know, consumed it in the same way at the same time. We're all on the same page and you can just start from there. You don't have to do any of that work to get people on the same page they're yeah. already on the same page so yeah they're amazing shows and yeah that makes often sense I, yeah. often i get nothing out of them that i can use in my actual tour yeah. but but what they are very good at i have realized is they're not as good at testing material but they're very good at working out what i actually am interested in talking about yeah because the me who sits down in front of my computer still has loftier aims perhaps about what it is that i am actually interested yeah, yeah. <laughs> writing about or talking about but the me that's there on stage that needs to entertain people immediately has a, sometimes a very different idea of like you know how to connect with people and 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 where we might go with that so yeah. it always opens something up you know it's but i love them i, I love doing those shows they're like my favorite shows to do how, yeah if people want to go to those shows how can they find out the information do you put it up is it on your website yeah or? my website's yeah. not the, the good place to start but there's yeah. a, always a link trade this stuff but i'm doing if people are in sydney over the summer i do them at the sydney comedy store which is where i started doing them and it's my favorite venue to do them but i'm also doing a run in newcastle on wednesday night so if people oh. happen to be in newcastle on uh Wednesday night during the summer I'm taking over their comedy club every Wednesday night in the summer to, to do them there wow. as well awesome cool. love it that's uh, yeah thanks well that's such good insight i love that it was um very cool and i reckon also just quickly with the the improv stuff it's it's like walking a tightrope and i think that's like the crowd probably can feel that too that they're like oh my god he's making this shit up on the spot like this could go either way and then when something hits it's just even when you talk to each person like you just that not knowing what they're going to come out with it could be yeah like just a train wreck or what they say yeah. or it could be yeah. like you know i mean often it is and like i mean the the funny thing is the 
sometimes the only thing that can go wrong with the show because of course at the start people always used to say to me oh you must go in with like if something goes wrong you can go to this and I think probably at the start I did and and it was only when I stopped doing that that I really started enjoying doing the shows and they always go well like I mean they always go well now like I've yeah. never had one of these since I started doing this that went badly yeah. I mean I always say to them at the start I guarantee you 60 minutes of quality material no matter how long it takes that's my promise <laughs> but but like part of the joy part of the reason they're there is like you know it's like watching motor racing they want to see the skilled drivers and how good they are at their jobs but they're hoping yeah. that occasionally somebody will like you know <laughs> skip fence, right like yeah. that's part of the thrill of why they're there and in, in a way like part of the joy of seeing me as long as you acknowledge what the moment is that you're in a hole and you're about to dig your way out of the hole then people yeah. are like you know there for that yeah, yeah. The, the only the only nights when i literally noticed a bit of a lull is like if i'm like just on a, a roll and it's like 30 40 minutes in and i've just not fucked anything up like literally <laughs> everything is like and there's almost a point where i'm like i'm like I, something's gonna need to go wrong just to remind them yeah that like this is not as easy as i'm making it look right now you yeah. know? Like, part of it is the idea that something could go terribly wrong and so and most of the time something will go wrong like you know or some riff will just go nowhere or i'll say something really inappropriate and then have to dig my way out of it like so normally that happens like it's, yeah. it's very rare that I'm 30 minutes into one of these without there have been a major disaster so far. But on the nights where they are, it's always important to have a little wobble so they remember that it's yeah. actually really quite different. <laughs> that's what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's so good. Well, I think it's listener question time. I think what so. do you reckon, Paul? Yeah. Yep. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. So this question came from Ryan Harlow. So thanks, Ryan, for writing in. Um, Ryan wrote, hey, boys, any danger of a great comedy film being made anytime soon? What was the last great comedy you guys watched? Jeez. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know who I throw to on this one first. Yeah. Okay. Paul Cookson, what was the last great oh, comedy film you saw? Yeah, yeah I actually, because I'd, yeah, I'm like throwing you on the spot. I, I have tried to quickly Google quickly what came out <laughs> the last five, seven years, because I would wasn't super easy i didn't think and and the ones i wrote down and even these weren't like hilarious but they were kind of funny and, and obviously really well done but don't look up jojo rabbit um and bad trip with eric andre i thought that was kind of funny um but it's crazy like you think recently we had sequels to a lot of classics that kind of i didn't think really landed that well like zombie land clerks three there was another Johnny English. There was a Super Troopers sequel and a Bill and Ted sequel. And mm. I don't really think any of those were particularly amazing personally, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, I, I like the Clerks sequel because I like have affection for Kevin Smith and his story. Yeah. And I thought that like, and you know, I look, he is just who he is and he makes what he makes and, and I'm in for a lot of it and like, despite its flaws, but yeah, it's not yeah. a great comedy movie. That's not the yeah. answer to that question. No, I just quite, I just quite liked. You know, the, two was amazing. I thought, yeah. I thought that was hilarious, but yeah. three, yeah, I don't know. Got a bit dark. Um, but. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mind the dark. I, yeah. I quite yeah. liked the dark, you know, um, but uh, I gotta say it's, it's, it is a hard question to answer, isn't it? Because like when I think great comedy movies, like, the ones that are coming to mind are all 
old now. Like, That's you know, even, thing. Yeah. even things that I think about it being modern ones. Like I think like Bridesmaids was like really good. Yes. That's about yeah. the most modern one that I could name that I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but then I like the first thing that I went to was what we do in the shadows, which has got to be oh, like a decade yes. old plus, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, more than that, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, the series as well. Do you watch that? Or I do. I mean, I the whole universe. Oh, I, I the yeah. whole yeah the extended so universe. Good. I think is yeah amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I like I can't think of a huge amount. I rewatched, and the funny thing is, I rewatched Groundhog Day recently for another podcast, and um, it's still just an incredibly good comedy movie. Like yeah. you know, just so well made as a comedy mm. you know like from start to finish the construction of it the yeah. you know it has a timeless aspect to it that you just think surely but it, and it's quite a simple little movie with a simple premise that's just yeah. well explored and well done and i just think why can't you make a movie like this anymore i don't <laughs> yeah. understand like i can understand the idea of budgets and you know like but this seems to be like a manageable size of a budget you know yeah. to make a movie that if you just had a good idea and like i just i find it hard to believe that groundhog day still wouldn't do well if groundhog day came out today like if yeah. groundhog day was a new movie i still yeah. think people would think it was a good movie yeah, yeah. agree but uh, like and to yeah to ryan's question i must agree like and i'm similar to you will bridesmaids came to mind i really enjoy watching that film like even when you go back to it it's a it's a winner and paul cookson i do also agree the last film that was kind of recent i'm not saying the thing was a masterpiece but i did have some laugh out loud moments at just the grotesque nature of some of the scenes and it was bad trip yeah because i don't know if you've seen that will it's like yeah, it's got some pretty fucked up scenes. <laughs> the gorilla, um, but like that, I actually I laughed out loud. And that that's um, yeah, you just don't see many Rare. comedy films that are just a pure comedy where yeah, like a bridesmaids or yeah, Groundhog Day or anything like that, where they really resonate and you have a really good laugh during them. Um, like you think, yeah, like that kind of typical like a wedding crashes where you're just actually laughing out loud and yeah. um, stuff like that. But yeah, you don't have too many of those recently where they've actually I mean, dead, yeah. does deadpool count as a comedy movie? yeah that's true yeah, yeah it's got yeah. a yeah for i sure. guess yeah, yeah action comedy kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. then yeah. maybe deadpool yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does that pass <laughs> but like wedding crashes i've re-watched that semi-recently that was made in 2005 that's yeah it's true it's, it's like, not recent yeah yeah that's a long time ago Wow. I mean, I'm looking, yeah, like, I mean, I quite like This Is The End, but that's like 2013. That's yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that a funny film. Yeah, yeah. That's like, that's a, that's a 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, insane. So, yeah. oh, well, I think we've, uh, we've answered that one for Ryan. So once again, thanks, Ryan, for writing oh, in. No, I've got, oh, no, I've got one. I've got, I've got one from 2016. Literally oh. rewatched this the other night, and this is an underrated, I mean, 2016 is still a while ago, but this <laughs> yeah. is a great comedy movie and it is was completely underrated at the time like just did not like gel with people i rewatched it the other night to see if i was wrong the first time i was not wrong uh -huh. it is so good it is a modern day spinal tap it is as good as spinal tap in my opinion because it does exactly what spinal tap did to 
like that style of music this does pitch perfect the songs are great the performances are great the understanding of the world is great i am talking about the movie pop style colon never stop oh actually that is hilarious you're right that is very funny i don't think i've seen this it is yeah. uh, the Lonely Andy Island Sandberg guys, and, Andy yeah. Sandberg, oh, right, and it's okay. essentially a parody of like a Justin Bieber, like yeah, you know, who was in like a, a boy band group. Then comes like a um, like a solo artist. It's honestly such a brilliant satire of the pop music world and industry. It is laugh out funny, like right yeah. through it. The songs are like I mean, you know, like I think these movies are so good when you think. If the, if the, and this is what Bo Burnham's very good at, right? Like, mm. if you go, if you just replace the lyrics in this for them not to be funny, you could actually just hear this in the genre of music it is. Yeah. Like, th- there's this song, like, um, about like this woman who wants to, like, fuck it. She told me to fuck him, like, we fuck, like, the US military fucked me in Laden. Like, that's the, <laughs> and it's so funny, this song, like, and the film clip's hilarious. Like, but, but if you took out the lyrics and replaced them with something else, you could just play it in the clubs. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those. And Andy Samberg's like hilarious in this yeah. movie. But they, everyone it was, in it's hilarious. It's got real life cameos from like a whole bunch of like rappers and R and B artists and stuff who all do like a really good job, like with the comedy material. It's it's like a super funny movie, and it just a, it bombed. Like, and really? I don't yeah. know why. And there's and an a DJ who has that helmet on that like lit yes. up or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's got the giant Daft Punk. Like, I mean, it's a proper you know parody of the industry it's so funny there's like if you buy it on itunes i know this because i bought it on itunes there's like film clips for every song that's in the movie they made these specialist film clips there's all this ex- like extra footage there's yeah. speaking of eric andre he's actually in it because there's a whole bunch of comedians playing uh-huh. like a take on the tmz you know reporters yeah. you know the bunch of idiots all sit around and gossip yeah. around the office it's like mike rabiglia and like um, Chelsea Peretti and like, yeah. you know, all these incredible you know, comedians like doing a parody of that. And Eric Andre is one of them. And there's all this extra footage of that. Anyway, okay. That was good. I'm, I'm very happy with this. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm also that. very happy to be able to bang on about what is a whole, like, I honestly only rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, why did people think this was not a good movie? Yeah, this is like a good, good movie. Point. All right. I'm going to have to, yeah, I haven't seen that. So that's, well, 2016. So that's, yeah. It's not that I'm close, but that. it's closer. I'm counting that. Yeah. <laughs> it's closer than Bridesmaids. Yeah. Yeah. Well played. All right. So I think it's time, Paul Cookson. Yes. The nostalgia film. So as we listeners would know, uh, we always get our guests to pick one of their favorite films. Um, we kind of pigeonholed you well because it was Christmas. <laughs> We've made you pick a Christmas film. Um, and uh, you've, you've, one of the the top ones you had was bad bad Santa. Um, yeah. So before I dig into it, I'll quickly uh, I'll quickly say some quick uh, facts on it. Um, so the director is Terry Zwigoff, I think is how you pronounce it. Written by Glenn uh, Ficara and John Requa. I'm butchering these names, but uh... <laughs> all of these sound like they're questions when you say the last name. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stars Billy Bob Thornton, um, Tony Cox, and Brett Kelly, uh, and Bernie Mac, like great. Um, runtime, yeah, hour and 32, budget 23 million. It made 76.5 at the box office. It's got a 7.1 on IMDb and a 78% Rotten Tomato score. Uh, the general plot of it is a miserable con man and his partner poses Santa and his little helper to rob a department store on Christmas Eve. 
but they run into problems when the con man befriends a troubled kid. Um, that's a bit of a summary for Solid it. Solid we'll... synopsis. Yes. Well, why did you um, choose this one other than it's pressuring you to? Yes. Well, um, no, I mean, you asked for Christmas movies, so I just named a list of Christmas movies of all descriptions that I liked in some way. And because uh, I quite like a Christmas movie. I'm not like a huge Christmas celebrator, but I quite like a Christmas movie. Hmm. I like a theme movie in general, I think. I don't actually mind what a Thanksgiving movie, a Valentine's Day movie. If you've yeah. got a theme, I'm happy to get involved in whatever it is that you're having to go at. But, but Bad Santa, I think, I was lucky that it was one of those movies that I discovered absolutely by accident. It, I did just did not know. I hadn't heard from people going, hey, you've got to see this. This is actually a really funny movie. It was one of those things that I think we watched because Billy Bob Thornton was in it. I honestly think that was probably why we watched it, not expecting much at all. And then, yeah, we're really, you know, it's a very, I mean, if people haven't seen it, it's a, it is a very grinchy I mean, Billy Bob Thornton plays this incredibly, you know, Grinch, literally a guy who's like dressing as a shopping mall Santa in order to case a joint and rob like the mall spoilers. But I mean, that not much of a spoiler. No, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, he's a sex act and, you know, he's a alcoholic and he's just incredibly weird. And so immediately it was funny, you know, it was just funny because you don't see people make Christmas movies that are like this, but it's actually, it turns out, you know, a much better movie than than that even. Like, because that is that whole genre of that now, right? And teach bad mums, bad, like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's, like, actually a genre of, like, and I don't think any of them really, you know, do it as cleverly, you know, and, and with as much actual genuine emotion and, it, like, a, a great arc and story in the way that this movie actually does. It has an incredible payoff between this kid. I mean, this kid is... Like Thurman Merman, I believe, is the name of the character, which in itself is just hilarious. But <laughs> this kid apparently was not... So the Coen brothers are the executive producers and came up with the original story for this, but then it was, you know, made without them. And, you know, some of the things that they wanted certainly did not happen. And one of the things that they didn't want was this kid to be cast in this role. And I'm very happy to say that they were so yeah. wrong about that because he is just perfect. Amazing. He is incredible yeah. in this role. And the relationship between, you know, Billy Bob Thornton and, and this, this kid, you know, and the way their characters, but just the relationship, the, the chemistry that the two of them have on screen is just, you know, really just watchable for the entire thing. And you just believe it. You just believe yeah. the emotional arc in the movie. And I just think it, this is one of those things that you could just so easily see them not pull off. Right. Yeah. You know, and look, they tried to recreate the magic in a sequel, which is, you know, not great. But yeah. there was there was just yes. something about this movie that just works for me. You know, it's not like one of the greatest movies of all time or anything like that. It's no. it's a classic example of this movie is so much better than you thought it was going to be. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's so true. Yeah. And and a few guys who missed out on the role or who were offered the role, and you might know this too. It sounds like you got your finger on the pulse of the trivia, which we'll get to a bit later. But um, Bill Murray was one who was offered the role. Um, Billy Bob's role so or and Jack Nicholson both of those they they definitely bring something to that role too I, I reckon yeah different takes you'd mm. think but yeah. but yeah like you could definitely see Bill Murray doing it like yeah yeah you know, like it's you know you, you don't very well and sort of you know, make you root for somebody who isn't particularly 
particularly sympathetic on paper. But I think that Billy Bob Norton does a great job with that as well. Like, I mean, that yeah. is his great skill is like, I think, you know, I'm a fan of his acting in general, but there is a certain style of his acting that I'm particularly fond of, which is this, like he, he plays a great fuck up. Yeah, yeah he does. Like if, if you need a fuck up, you can root for like, yeah. you know, Billy Bob Thornton is kind of your guy in that yeah. situation. And yeah. I do think he is funny, but he's funny because like, not in the Bill Murray, I'm a comedian and therefore I'm kind of got funny bones. I bring funny to the table, but in that he commits to these characters in such a way that that they become in these situations and scenarios become inherently humor humor full rather than the fact that he is actually just going for a joke i think yeah difference right yeah even like his line obviously you know where he's got the uh large woman in the back and he's making the line of uh you're not gonna shit straight or something like that for uh i think it was because he was like yeah um he just yeah he delivers those lines very well yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty yeah, it's, it's he de- well. He, he, deliver, he delivers jokes as if they're not jokes. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Exactly. It's a commitment to it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It is. Yeah, and he, it really is the polar opposites, like you said, between him and and yeah, the the little boy that he does sort of hang out with. You know, he's just getting so drunk and he's just sitting there with his advent calendar or telling me, yeah. do you want milk or do you want you know anything like this? It's just like it works so well between the two extremes of just someone yeah. so innocent to someone who's so damaged and tarnished yeah it's um yeah but like you said as well it's interesting that the cohen's and and i think the the director as well they didn't want it to be kind of a happy ending um towards the end they actually kind of want it just to be just a depressing sort of funny depressing christmas yeah yeah, exactly and i think that also what helps it not that it needs help but you know the the supporting cast are really strong too i mean you you're like bernie mac um r.i.p he's awesome in there um and there's another guy actually who passed away what's his name he's the manager the white guy yes yeah Yeah, it was john ritter's last movie i believe yeah Yeah. that's right correct um but he he was awesome too so they had this kind of supporting cast that were both adding a bit to it also Mm. Yeah, and uh, the love interest is like the Gilmore girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't remember what her name is. Yeah, but... <laughs> um, yeah. I, I like. I mean, I think this is one of those movies where the entire cut. This is kind of part of the thing. It's like a decent enough story, yeah. Like, but with a really good cast that just yeah. brought it all to life. It, it is a classic example of it's just really watchable. Everybody yeah. in it's really good. They're all doing a really good job at what they're meant to be doing in the movie. And sometimes it feels like like in the right way, it feels like they're in different movies. Like yeah. sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, oh, it feels like all oh, these people are in different movies and this is no good, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember watching the most recent Thor movie, um, Love and Thunder, and I was like, I would love to see whatever movie Christian Bale thinks he's in. Like <laughs> I'd love to see the rest of that movie yeah. like, because he is making a completely different movie to the rest of the <laughs> <in> this cast. <laughs> like he and it's Russell Crowe are not in the same movie. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. not, like, they're not in the same universe, right? <laughs> and so, um, but in this one, sometimes there is massive you know, changes of pace or change of tone, but like it never feels like disjointed. It just is one of those things. And I think that's why they couldn't recreate it for the sequel because there's just something about it that works. Yeah. Like that I don't think any of them or any of us really fully understand. No. On paper, a lot of what they did probably shouldn't have worked. It just did. 
yeah the chemistry i guess yeah, yeah it's amazing um all right so we've got a bit of trivia for you will you're playing for the car okay. so it's true or false questions um and there's five of them okay are you ready i'm ready yeah all right let's do this <laughs> There are over 300 profanities in this film, true or false? Oh, I mean, you'd have to easily, I would have thought. I'm going to say true, yes. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Number two, the Czech Republic's title for this film is Santa the Sex Pest. True or false? I mean, it's, it's certainly sad that I have to think about it because there's definitely a chance that it could be true. And then what does it say about you that if you've made this up, like, I mean, that's what that, that's also something that needs to be explored. So I'm going to say it's true based on that in the hope that you haven't made that up. It is false. Oh, no. <laughs> oh geez. I love that you, you've put that in there. So I'm shamed for your <laughs> wrong answer. I mean, it, it does seem that I have done that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but the follow-up answer, it's a bit of a sneaky question because yeah. the Czech Republic did rebadge the film and I believe it's called Santa the Pervert. <laughs> so I mean, just a bit of wordplay there. So close. it's not really, close. You know, it's a sneaky question. Um, number three. Will, do you have any follow-up questions for Sam on that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the, the authorities will be providing yeah. those questions. It's fine. It's not my job. Wait, not there's a knock way. on my door. What's going on here? Um, Larry David was considered for the role of Willie, true or false? Oh, okay. Um, I mean, he would have been great. That's what I will say. Um, Era-wise, I mean, Seinfeld was a big show, so that's possible that that could be the case. I mean, they considered, as we, as you already mentioned, like Jack Nicholas, and I mean, yeah, okay, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say true. That is correct. That is true. Do you like, like, I just like to reason things out? Is this like, <laughs> yeah. like, like that I feel sense. like, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Some guess, yeah, you do that and then you gauge yeah. what, what I'm doing. If I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, I should have done that. Though. Just That's read the point. faces. Um, <laughs> all right. Number four. After the success of Bad Santa, Billy Bob was connected with a pilot for an out-of-control Easter bunny with the working title, Bad Bunny. True or false? I mean, I'm going to say false. but That is false. Yeah. I would happily say Bad Bunny. If, like, if anybody <laughs> does want to pitch that, I would definitely be up for saying that. I think it would do all right. Yeah. Um, all right. Lucky last. Number five. I mean, five. why does he just need to be like a christmas santa right like i mean literally it's, it's anywhere that you can just like dress up and case a place that's so right it should yeah. be yeah. every season i would love to see billy bob like make a valentine's day movie a thanksgiving movie you know? like you know fourth of july he's dressed as a pilgrim like whatever it is like just get the dude in a costume being bad well that's and you said that before that you'd like any movie with a bit of a theme so you'd yeah. be in all of them yeah, I, I'm like, this is two of my worlds combining. Billy Bob Thornton playing a like a bad version of someone and like theme movies. This yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's yeah, unstoppable. All right, last question number five. In almost every scene, Bernie Mac is consuming something to help with constipation. True or false? <laughs> I'm gonna say true. That sounds fun. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> he's having like oranges he has like almost like a metamucil shake in one of them every scene he's consuming something to help with constipation but never mentions it 
uh, do we feel like that was something that uh, was cut out? Like, as in, like, it's one of those things that, you know, it's in the rest of the movie, but they cut out the scene where he explained that he had constipation. Does <laughs> yeah. that, is that what we're feeling? I reckon it's that's it. There's, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a shitting scene in there they left out. <laughs> <laughs> Will Anderson, well done. You dominated. Yes. I reckon, what did you get? Probably three out of five. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'll yeah. That is. Nice. Beautiful. Nicely done. So, really, I, I think that's a, that's a good result. We've covered the yeah. Christmas films. Was there anything else you wanted to pick Will's brain on, Paul Cookson? My only other, well, um, given we pigeon you hold you into the Santa one, what would you say? Do you have a favourite film outside of that that you usually... Uh, say when people ask me what my favourite film is? It's, so, it's um, tough. It's tough. I mean, look, you know, I like films that I revisit a lot. Groundhog Day, as I mentioned, it's just one of those films that I constantly, I think it's probably, you know, almost a perfect comedy film. Um, but I also like the philosophical, like, you know, thoughts around Groundhog Day, you know, the mm -hmm. idea that maybe he was in there for like, you know, like 10,000 years, you know, yeah. there's some speculation, you know, that it, like it, it's quite you know, dark if you really think about it. Um, I loved what we do in the shadows. I reference that as being like a great film. The Dark Knight um, it was like of modern day movies is the one yeah. that I probably, you know, rewatch over and over again. Um, the Princess Bride, I, I always say, because I think that I just, again, it's one of those like timeless, you know, and again, it was one of those movies that I saw as a surprise. You know, I was 14 years old, went, yeah, me and my friend Sarah Bailey had to take our sisters to the movies and it had to be a movie that, the sisters could watch as well and so we went to see this thing that i thought was going to be about princesses or whatever and turned out to be this incredible you know comedy film with all these amazing comedians in it so um yeah the princess bride i say quite a lot in regard to that um what was i re-watching recently that i was like gee this is like oh you know what i watch every time it's on like and this is quite a mainstream like if we're talking about like mainstream like movies like i'm a real sucker for both um shawshank and for oh. uh, the fugitive yeah. Oh, both, yeah both better movies than like you, you, they both become kind of cliches yeah. and you, you always think oh, i've seen this movie too many times i don't need to watch like the fugitive again and yeah. then the other night after the cricket the fugitive was on channel seven and i watched it with the bloody ads like that's how much <laughs> i was enjoying it like i didn't even like there was part of me was like you should just go and find like yeah. the fugitive like yeah. somewhere else where you can watch it without bloody ads and i was like no no no, i'm just gonna watch it like we used to watch movies in the old days yeah. like yeah. with the ads in the middle of it and i enjoyed it very much it's a well they're both 90s classics so they were they were designed to have ads through them you know they were always on tv <laughs> that's right they probably yeah. in the original no, the, it felt right for the fugitive actually yeah. i was like this is good this is like you know it feels like every scene has pace now because i've just watched the commercial <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> vintage Harrison too. There, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's so good in that movie. But Tommy Lee Jones is just amazing oh. in that movie, and like it's actually talking about supporting cast. Like that is oh. a movie just filled with incredible actors in minor yeah. roles. Like it's yeah. it's so good. Like it was so good that the next night after the cricket, Channel Seven were playing uh, U.S. Marshals, which is the oh, oh. yeah, the sequel, <laughs> sequel. Another Tommy Robert Lee. Downey and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And I remember not really particularly liking that at the time, uh, but I watched. I liked the few so much the night before i rewatch i watched that again as well and, with you know, ads again with the ads it actually breaks it up a bit it's not too bad <laughs> you need to break sometimes yeah, totally. yeah, that, yeah the fugitive that scene you know when they're at the the waterfall or whatever it's i incredible. didn't kill my wife i don't care yeah. <laughs> you know, i mean it's incredible classic. 
I mean, clearly, when you watch that movie back, you go, that fall absolutely would have killed him. There's no yeah. way that he would have <laughs> died, not died. In that. Yeah. The movie should be over at that scene. But um, no, nah, it's, it, yeah, it's really, it's a really rewatchable film and it does yeah. absolutely stand up, I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Well, well Maybe maybe on a future one we can review in a bit more detail. But, um, yeah. Or Bad Bunny, if that gets made. Yeah, that's it, exactly. <laughs> uh, Will, it's been awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, that is my Final plugs as well. Um, so, well, I guess go to your site to find out for those improv, um, improv shows. Um, Melbourne Intercon... Internet, internet. I can't speak. Melbourne. You know what? Here's honestly, there's there's comedy, there's books, there's like a free um, special that's on ABC iView. If you want a link to see if I'm doing comedy where you are, go to my website. There's a link tree there. Um, Or social media. It's not me on social media, but I am on a bunch of the social medias. My management run it, so there's always a link tree there that'll take you to where you can buy the book, where you can watch the special, where you can come and see me do live stand up comedy. You don't need to read it out. It's all in one one (laughs) that people can click on and then they can actually find it. Like, or if you walk through an airport and you see my book, just grab a copy for your family for Christmas. That would be fun. Obviously pay for it though. Yeah, and it doesn't really bother me one way or the other as long as they are taken from the bookshop i am fine with that it's all numbers it's all good uh will anderson it's been an absolute pleasure mate and uh have a merry christmas happy new year and um hopefully we'll we'll chat to you again soon in the in the future thank you thank you very much for having me cheers 